Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. Honestly, what I experienced at the training centers was so much darker than shiny, happy people. I was like, oh, this is like the PG version of a rated R movie. Oh my gosh. With the amount of verbal abuse and potentially physical abuse and sexual abuse, there was a lot of darkness. I had a friend who was essentially like left for dead at one point and smuggled out by by plane. They talked about like leaving children who were bad outside chained to a tree and they debated like leaving them outside overnight. Oh my gosh. It was horrific. This feels like The Handmaid's Tale. It is The Handmaid's Tale. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions and organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're listening only and you want to see our faces, go to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness. It would mean the world if you could like and subscribe. It really helps the algorithm, guys. Push out the video to more people so we can bring more awareness to these culty topics and obviously elevate these voices who are being brave enough to come on and share their stories. So today's guest, Uh, One of my followers actually sent me her information. She actually grew up in the IBLP, which is the Institute of Basic Life Principles. It's not technically a church, but it's kind of its own cult within other cults. So we're going to get into what that means. But she has a doctorate of law degree. She's incredibly smart. She's actually teaching birds to talk and read and write. And it is so cool. We'll get into that later. But thank you so much for joining us, Jen Kunha. Thank you so much for having me today. And thank you for all the work that you do to raise awareness around cults. It means so much, truly. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I'm so happy that you decided to come on. I know that you kind of went public with your story for the first time on Instagram and it blew up and you've been receiving so much support. And I'm so happy that I found you. And I was like, let's talk about it. So this is the first time sharing your story kind of in a video setting. And I just want to say thank you for being here. I know it can be a little scary, but our community is so supportive. And I'm sure everyone will just give you a ton of words of encouragement in the comments as well. Thank you so much. Of course. All right, so let's get into it. Institute of Basic Life Principles. Let's just start with kind of a brief overview of what it means to be a part of this group, and and then we'll get into your story as far as when you were immersed into it. So do you want to kind of start us off with that? Sure. So the Institute of Basic Life Principles, when you... um, grow up in it and you think of what cults are. Cults are so often a church or a denomination. And it was confusing because you had these experiences and the Institute and Basic Life Principles is actually just kind of like a group and it has lots of different denominations, but it's an ideology, a very um, almost maybe fringe, fundamentalist, conservative Christian um, ideology. And the members are from different um, Protestant persuasions. Christian principles, right? Yes. Christian fundamental principles, but extremely fundamental. Exactly. Yeah. So 
the the new documentary shiny happy people came out and it's basically exposing the duggars and iblp as a whole and it is heart-wrenching and holy crap i binge watched it all of it yesterday just to make sure that i was prepared for this interview and i was like holy crap there's so much to unpack here so let's go into what some of those rules are and what you would have to follow if you were in this group so this guy started it his name is bill gothard right yes he created this program where, let me see if I can remember all the basic things. So no music with drums because it's seen like satanic ritualistic stuff from Africa. Was that? Yeah, so that's exactly it. So there's like, there's like un- this undercurrent of racism also that yeah. things from Africa are satanic and that drum beats are satanic. So nothing with a rock beat, not even like praise and worship music could be allowed wow. in the house as hymns and classical music and acapella stuff. And no TV. So you're allowed to have a TV-ish, but no, you couldn't watch more than four hours per week. And they had a lot of like restrictions about what you could see. And um, we weren't allowed to watch Friends or um, like Seinfeld. I didn't know like much about those. What? No, I know. <laughs> that was so, my childhood with Seinfeld. <laughs> I know. So I didn't know. I, I had no way to relate to people in society because I had I hadn't seen Seinfeld, oh, right. and I didn't, I, we didn't like we didn't know what these things were. So um, so you could you could like in theory watch we watched old movies sometimes or you know various things that were very much rated G or barely PG yeah. or something like that. But you weren't really allowed to watch TV, and a lot of families didn't even have a television. Wow. Was it true that it or was it true in your household that you weren't allowed to watch Disney either? Um, yeah. So Disney was definitely satanic. There's like this whole narrative and they like look at various things in the movies and like explain that why it's bad. Like in Lion King, there's this moment where the leaves are the or something's like blown into the wind. And in theory, they like come up with the word sex. Yeah. Right. So it was no Disney. Yeah. And to piggyback off that, it's because the purity culture is so extreme that you're supposed to wait to have your first kiss until your wedding day, correct? That's the gold standard in IBLP. And different families use that in different ways. I think mm-hmm. one of my best friends, she was allowed to kiss maybe a little bit when she got engaged, like a peck or something. Um, but there are various variations on this idea of extreme purity. Yeah. If you could explain kind of how you understood it growing up, um, and then we'll get into when you first got into it and how you saw the differences. But just from your perspective, how did it make you feel? Like, what are you noticing about this purity culture? How is it making you feel about yourself? By way of a little bit of background, my family was very Christian before I, I was born, but both of my parents came from more secular families. So they both found Christianity kind of on their own it, for various reasons. And then um, their form of it was extremely conservative. Like we grew up on classical music and we didn't really listen to rock music. My dad started listening a little bit to rock music when I was eight, but then, um, and like Beatles, but then we were in church all the time. So Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, anything going on at church, we were at church. My pam- parents did homeschool quite a lot. I was homeschooled off and on, but my brothers were fully homeschooled. I think when I was after eight to 12, we were allowed to be exposed, exposed a little bit to rock music. Um, and then the purity culture 
is pervasive in Christianity inside and outside of the call, right? So mm-hmm. like women are supposed to be pure for marriage. And um, if, you know, if a woman gets raped, what was she wearing? Like this isn't just in the cult, but the yeah. cult brought it to different levels through their publications. So we got more involved when I was 12 and then even more involved when I was 14. And the idea is this like shameful belief that your body basically exists to trap men and to cause them to sin. And you're a child, right? You're like 12, you're 13, you're 14 years old and your body is changing. Not only is it weird that your body is changing, you're trying to figure out what to do with that, but you are a lust trap and you're a child. And, um, and so, so all the time, there was such criticism like, oh, is your shirt too tight? Is it too low? And I think that exists somewhat in Christianity. But when it came to IBLP, it was written down like in the literature that we grew up reading. Like if you're raped, what were you wearing? Who were your friends? What were uh, you doing? Why we like, what were you doing to cause a man to rape you? And you're a child, you're a child reading this. I was 14 and knowing that if something happened to me, if I got raped, I caused it. It was my sin. Like, it's just such horrific, toxic stuff pouring into your brain. Yeah. And something that they mentioned on the show as well was that if you go through some horrific trauma, rape, for example, you are made better for it and you are more spiritual. So you should be grateful for the trauma. I lost my mind. I was like, this is the perfect environment for predators. They are just breeding, like just giving men all of the opportunity to do whatever they want and making the women thankful for it. I just, I can't even comprehend. It's sick. It is, I mean, you get, when you're in it, you know, you're, you're, you get into a more and more broken place over time. I think that you walk in as a fresh, like kind of normal person. And then, and then in time, it just, you get sucked in and yeah. more and more broken. But when you're out, you're like, what on earth? Like, who is doing this? Who thinks this is okay? Right. Who? Yeah. And I want to say that you're definitely not alone in that because even with me, when I grew up Mormon, things were just super normal. And I'm like, yeah, going to the bishop and confessing my sexual sins is like totally normal. I hate it, but that's my life. And then when you leave, you go, oh my gosh, a grown man in a room with a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, however year old woman talking about their quote sexual sins is not okay. It's basically child abuse. And so Absolutely. Like no one is blaming you for not seeing it while you were in because you really can't. When you are indoctrinated to believe that this is your reality, why would you see it any other way? It's so difficult. And honestly, the people that I bring on that do kind of figure it out at a young age, I'm like, how did you do that? Because most people aren't capable of switching off their brain in that way. So I want to get into that. You joined or your parents joined when you were 12. So you understood what life was like before and after. So let's talk about how your life was before. And then when the switch happened, what's going through your mind? I would say that we were garden variety Southern Baptist, if that makes sense. I think that if we hadn't gotten into the cult, I probably wouldn't have questioned my spirituality. I think that there are harmful themes in like fundamentalist anything. But I think that the real like trauma came through IBLP. And um, and so when I think of my life, like I think that my family 
had some chaos anyway. Um, my parents, you know, had some challenges and some troubles and that was already there. But when we got into IBLP, everything got a lot darker. I remember I was in ninth grade and um, I, my family was really struggling, but I had been put into public school kind of for the first time in a long time. And I was in the IB program and I was struggling, not because it was hard, just because family life was really challenging. And at the end of the year, I had a D in a class and I had like A's and B's, but I had a class that was a D and my family was like, this is not working very well for you. And my mom also was really struggling because my, she thought my dad was cheating, had started cheating. And so, you know, so she was depressed. She was pretty broken. And she was like, what would you think if we homeschooled, but we got into that Gothard program? When you're on the outside, the people in IBLP were like the elite Christians. I mean, these are the really spiritual, godly, mm. perfect families. So when you're kind of broken and you're looking at these perfect, beautiful, shiny, happy people, families, <laughs> yes, people all around you. And they, they are the elite. Like they have signed on for a lot of restrictions and a lot of stuff. And like there is a huge pervasive theme of godliness yeah it looks like if you just do what they do then you'll have their life as well so I think she was really reaching for fixing our family um, in a way that felt most accessible to her when you're a Christian woman a lot of times you're supposed to submit and if there's a problem you're supposed to pray more you know it's very disempowering so she thought this would be the fix. So she was driving, we were driving home and she was like, okay, we're going to join. And I was like, am I allowed to wear pants? And she was like, nope, no more pants. <sighs> am I allowed to like, can I date? No, we can't, we won't be dating. And I was like, can I shave my legs still? And she's like, oh yeah, see, they will want you to shave your legs and would you wear makeup? You know, oh like, like we were going through all the rules and yeah. I was like, well, it has to be better than public high school that I'm really struggling with right now. And maybe it'll fix the family. Yes. So that was the conversation, but it started such a dark, you know, a dark path for all of us. Right. I'm sure, especially that age where maybe you're starting to like boys and you're starting to be curious and your body is changing and you're like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> this this doesn't sound like fun to me because you had mentioned off camera that as far as dating goes, you have to go on dates with your parents or a sibling. You can't be, you have to be chaperoned, right? Until you're married. Yeah. So I was, it was like this really cute kid moment where my parents come back from the basic seminar and I'm 12 years old. I'm actually in the backyard, like gardening. And, and they're like, oh, we're home. And also when you turn 16 and start dating, we're all going to be going on your dates with you. And I was like, my parents have lost it. Are you kidding? Why would you go on a date with me? Like, what is, where, where are you going? Yeah. Who's telling you this? So yeah, I was very, um, you know, like, like, yeah. So that was the, that was the start, the kind of cute start to what everyone on TV for all these years thought was really cute. This wholesome American family with courtship, but it's actually really dark. Yeah, and I think it just creates an, a, an environment for abuse, as we mentioned, because the more you suppress and suppress, it becomes distorted. Anything, yes. any value that you're just like, can't do this, can't do this. And then it it creates a weird obsession with it in some cases, or it makes you feel so ashamed that you don't want to experience it at all. Like, what was it like? And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when you were 
able, when you got out of the cult and you were able to listen to music, was it a shock to you as far as the different types of music or TV shows? So this is the odd thing that in some ways it sticks with you. I never went back and listened to the music I was missing in a sense. Um, when I was eight to 12, my parents listened to a lot of Beatles and some oldies. So I'm familiar with them. Um, I have no idea music from the eighties and nineties. And then a little at a time, I would start adding in more normal music. So it was a very slow integration. Mm -hmm. One thing that was really big and different after I got out was clothes because I had no idea how to dress and what to get. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd worn long dresses for so long. And I was in college at University of Florida. And I think it was the first time I was really shopping for myself with normal clothing. And I didn't know what to get or how to pick it out. So I had the shopping attendant at Old Navy, like help me pick out clothes Aww. and jeans and stuff. I know it was like, I didn't know what to do or what looked okay and how to make stuff match in a <laughs> jean kind of way. So yeah, and if anyone is wanting a little bit more context on this too, if you are familiar with the Duggars, nineteen twenty, however many kids and counting, they had a TV show, and Shiny Happy People goes into that and kind of the dark side of what was going on behind the scenes, but that's the example of the lifestyle, and it does look very sweet and happy, and oh, their family is so well behaved. And then when you learn why they're well behaved, it's really dark. I mean, these families are practicing what is the name of the book? To Train Up a Child by Michael Pearl, where he teaches you how to beat your child into submission. And it's just so sad. And I know that that's a controversial topic as far as spanking your kids. I'm very much on the don't spank your kids, don't hit your kids type of thing. But, you know, they take it to the extreme where there is an example. Um, what's the the wife's name on the Duggars? Michelle? Michelle, yeah. Michelle was talking about how she did blanket training with her up to infants where you would put them on a blanket and then you would put the, their favorite toys on the outside of the blanket. And when they go to reach for it, you would smack their hand until they realized, oh, I can't make any decisions without your approval. And oh my gosh, my heart was just breaking. I almost burst into tears just thinking about this poor baby. I mean, we're talking about babies that they're doing this with. It makes no sense to me. And so this whole mechanism of control is just fear-based and it's control and it's coercion and it's manipulative but of course you can't see it until you leave so anyway we jumped ahead let's talk about the homeschooling program ati what that was like for you and what your experience was with it advanced learning institute has their own curriculum they're called wisdom books and you're supposed to do one wisdom book per month um some families use that as their only form of education and i am really thankful that my dad was actually very interested in all of us going to college and mm. he was a little bit less, I mean, for the challenges that were in the house, he also was less interested in following all the IBLP stuff, which brought its own kind of like complications, but we used also regular traditional curriculum um, as a supplement. Oh, good. Get the Becca homeschool curriculum or other curriculum. And then ATI curriculum for us was a supplement. The wisdom books had like so much misogyny and some racism. And you just think that this is normal. The first one, I think it's maybe the first one, one of them 
basically says, you know, like, why did God let it happen? And it goes into, again, the rape stuff. If you're raped, why did God let it happen? But you also are instructed on clothing and women can't wear dresses that have a V-neck. They can't wear dresses that have a scarf that's near your middle of your chest. You can't have a slit in your skirt. And this is all the kind of indoctrination that's also, if I recall correctly, literally in the wisdom book. So you're reading your homeschool curriculum and you're indoctrinated on misogyny and sexism and shame for women um, constantly. Yeah. And as far as the science goes, I remember something saying (laughs) in the show, like your hands are made of non-living atoms or something really off. And I was just like, who wrote these and how did they get approved? Because some of it is just straight up wrong. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about these poor kids that had that as their only source of education. Yes, 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 and yes. It's terrifying. And also awful. Um, a lot. So we have a law firm. And one of the things that we've been able to do, I'm a, also like a domestic violence survivor um, afterwards. And a lot of the girls and women you know, were not given education. They were pushed into marriages that ended up being high in abuse and violence. So um, our law firm, like a lot of times we hire entry-level women who have been abused or domestic violence victims. They may not even know it yet. Like I know that they are, but they're they, from the cult. Mm. So we're trying to like give these girls and women who have had no chance in life because they were expected to be wives and now they're experienced domestic violence. They don't even know it yet, but like, you know, because they tell you what's going on. So try to bring them in and empower them. But yeah, there's like very poor education and for women, generally no college. It's very, very um, looked down upon to go to college. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful that you're able to do that and help these women who really don't have any resources. I am so lucky. Like, I just feel like the trajectory of my life in IBLP could have turned out so much worse. And I just feel like there were a couple lucky breaks that that helped me to be able to get out, but so many weren't. And so, um, yeah, it's tragic. It's a horrible program. Yeah. And you were kind of thrown into the deep end as well when you were 15. You had mentioned before off camera that you graduated high school at 15 and then you were sent to this training center to help children how to read, right? Yeah. So I graduated early from high school. I was, they didn't have gifted programs back then. So I was kind of like pushed along and they skipped grades here and there in the different schools I was at. And then I graduated at 15 um, or it was started college in 15. And then my family thought I was kind of too young to be like in college all the time. I volunteered, right? Cause you think that shiny, happy people, you want that for your life. Yeah. For sure. So I volunteered to go work in the inner city of Indianapolis. And, um, and then that's how I got into the cult program. Mm. So walk us through what that was like. Again, you know, your, your life gets into these gradations and shifts of darkness. So my parents got introduced to IBLP and that brought some darkness. And then we started ATI and that brought even more like kind of like dark into our lives. But then the training centers were just awful. Um, we arrived and I'm, I'm like the poster child of an of a, of a very good child of, of, of all of IBLP. I am devout. I pray. I fast. I, you know, I'm very conscientious about obeying my authorities. So I wasn't a bad 
a bad kid, like showing up here. Mm-hmm. We're good kids volunteering for this program. But you get there and they're like, the walls have eyes. And here are all the restrictions. From the first day, like you think that maybe there's cameras in your room. You have no idea, but they're like, you need to follow all the rules or we'll find out. Okay, so we show up and then you find out that there's these prayer rooms. So we live in a hotel room. There's two people per room, like a dorm. Um, It's 13 stories, this hotel in Indianapolis that the mayor gave to the Institute to do good work in the city. But the prayer rooms are hotel rooms on your floor that have no furniture. They've been converted into an isolation, solitary confinement punishment place for people who break the rules or juvenile delinquents or things like that. And so, so on the one hand, you know that you're supposed to follow the rules. And on the other hand, if you don't, like it's very serious consequences. You could be sent home and shame your family. Or you could be put in a prayer room for hours, days, weeks, and oh get two gosh. meals a day and not be able to talk to anybody. And you're you're a child, but I'm not even sure like this is this is a horrible punishment for anybody in the whole world. Like right. humans are social creatures. But a child, because they think that you have a crush on someone in your head, you think that if you have a crush, if you give away your heart before your father gives permission, if any of these like things happen, you could be in solitary confinement for weeks. And it's terrifying. Yeah, that is terrifying. And to also solidify kind of the doctrine behind the giving away your heart thing is as a child, you belong to your father until... You belong to your husband. So you are literally property. This is reminding me so much of this episode I just did with Amanda from Escaping Polygamy. And she she talks about how it was the same thing from a polygamous Mormon sect, a very extreme sect where they're literally marrying their half brothers and sisters. And it was the same type of thing where she says, yeah, I belong to my father until he gave me as property to my husband. And so when you're in that situation, as far as punishment goes, if you speak out to whoever's in charge of you, this is from what I was watching on Shiny Happy People. If you speak out to anyone who's technically over you, that is not okay. You have to completely submit to anyone in charge of you. And if you don't, prayer room. So did this happen to you? Were you ever sent to the prayer room? No, I was such a poster child that I went on to be like adopted by Bill Gothard um, as his mentee. Okay, l- <laughs> let's get into that. Yeah, like like so opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I went there and I, I did start training. Like I taught in the inner city and I taught children how to read. And I will say that their reading curriculum was pretty good. I, the kid I worked with was on kindergarten reading level, but he was supposed to be fourth grade, and I had him at fourth grade level reading. You know, by the oh, end wow. of the year. Um, so so they did actually have pretty good curriculum for what we were teaching in the inner city. Um, but then I was kind of like swept up by Mr. Gothard, who didn't want me to go to college. My dad was going to have me come back home and go to college. And he was like, oh, no, we need to save you from college. Um, and then I went to headquarters. Okay. So Bill spotted you and said, I want you to come and work for me. Yeah. And not not just work, not like as an employee, but he wanted to mentor me. He wanted me to create, like, maybe be the head of creating programs for women or, like, maybe take on the women's part of the ministry or, like, 
words what that would look like. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I'm not surprised because you're incredibly smart and (laughs) have a good head on your shoulders. So I'm sure he saw a lot in you. What I'm wondering is based on what I saw in the documentary as far as multiple women coming forward with sexual abuse allegations, did you feel any of that tension or any sort of like icky feeling that he wanted you for other reasons as well? So I, and I say that he brought me there to like do these things that are, you know, maybe create these programs or whatever, but, but in the end, um, maybe that's just what he said to have somebody around because later I found out that, all kinds of women were told kind of the same thing I was and were like his close, like he he worked closely with them. And so, so I'm not sure that he actually like had those intentions of whatever. Like, I think he just maybe wanted me to be around Um, because certainly like no progress was made on anything. It's confusing, right? Being in a cult and abuse is always confusing. He did play like footsie and he would have me in his office at 4.30 in the morning to like do prayer with him and devotions and nobody was nobody else was there yet. Um, So there was this like odd tension that you're not supposed to do that with men generally, right? Right. Like that's just not usually what you do. But then it's, it's, it's Mr. Gothard. Mr. Gothard is as chaste as like, I don't even know, like some Catholic saint, like the man doesn't have children. He's never been married. So even though there are these boundary violations of like, this isn't stuff that you would normally be okay doing, it's Mr. Gothard. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. And then um, he would play like footsie under the desk. I would sit in his office with him all day long, like whatever meetings he would have, like I was mentoring him or shadowing him. Also, it didn't go beyond that. Like he never was otherwise inappropriate to me other than this like weird tension Mm -hmm. the other part of it though is that I think my dad was very loud about like she needs to go to college she needs to be making advancements in her education we've been estranged for six or seven years now my dad and I but he really pushed hard for my education and I think that that made me maybe not a very good target for Mm -hmm. Bill Gothard because he maybe would make better progress for whatever his means were with somebody whose parents weren't like being loud about needing to have progress on education and, you know, make progress in career and stuff. So in the end, I was only really working with him for a short while. And then he kind of like shuffled me off to other projects and, you know, other things and stuff. And then I ultimately went to Oklahoma City to work on the foster care children's program project because I wanted to work a lot with foster kids. So so I got shuffled off. And in a sense, I think my parents' involvement um, did protect me, although there were these like weird tensions and certainly a lot of trauma fallout from the relationship. Um, I lived at his mother's house. Oh, wow. Where he grew up. Um People would call, like his family would call the phone at the house and be like, listen, it seems like you're his mistress, oh. like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, like I was accused of I'm 17 years old and um, and I was accused of being his mistress. His sister would show up and like scream at us all, all the time. We weren't allowed to wear like go barefoot in the house because she had like these weird things and she would actually like even break in through the basement and like harass us what yeah like she'd she'd come in and she'd like try to catch us 
barefoot in the house taking care of his mom. It was just like this craziness. It sounds like someone has a foot fetish. Yeah. It was, <laughs> because it was so weird. Everybody around me in the training center, especially at headquarters, was extremely abusive. The, wow. I, I was in three different places in the four months I was there. And in one home where I was men- being mentored by Bill Gothard, but also like they were caring for an older family unrelated um the woman who was kind of like in charge of the house would like i think she was bipolar she'd freak out and she'd start screaming at us um one of the girls there showed us this gravity technique where you can like pick people up with like pressure points or something and they decided that she was doing demonology and i think she almost got sent home for pressure point like pressure point Uh not not even like weird metaphysical pressure point just like physics yeah um so so there was just like emotional violence everywhere yeah it seems like there was a clear distinction between your house even though your parents were practicing iblp to the centers what were the main differences as far as obedience and strictness and punishments go so again at the training centers you screw up and you either shame your family or you're put in isolation or whatever. At home, my family, and I think some of this made it like harder too. Um, my family had a hard time, right? My my mom was really struggling. My dad was frequently upset. Um, and so, so I was a bit the glue for my family. I was very much a peacemaker um, and a perfectionist. So I would try to make sure like everything was good to go for when my dad got home. Um, I helped homeschool all my brothers. They didn't do the systematic like beatings that the pearls did, but there was, you know, like physical corporal punishment um, for my brothers, especially. I will say, I think everyone's doing the best they can always on their path, mm-hmm. wherever they're at. And even our parents, I think, you know, in a sense, are victims of trauma, yeah. victims of the cult. Some of them signed up for it, you know, thinking that it would save their families. Some signed up for it because they're narcissists and they want perfect families. But um, my family was, I think, a little bit too much struggling to be able to be like systematic about the pearls, <laughs> um, but there was still like corporal punishment and stuff. Mm. The corollary part of that is that my family's struggles made me um, even more religious because I thought God could save them. And so where some people might have been a little bit rebellious about IBLP, I took it tooth, line, and sinker, right? Like, like I took it all yeah. and internalized it hugely because I thought it would save us. And so I prayed and I, I was up at 4.30 in the morning every every day, pretty much praying for my family for hours. I fasted every Sunday. And then um, in turn, there's something called scrupulosity, which is where you become like OCD about spiritual things. And so I developed this scrupulosity where I was always afraid that it was never good enough. And I didn't think Jesus like I forgot to thank Jesus for the green light. And now I've disappointed Jesus or I'm late for church, but if I speed, like I'm sitting and I believe, wow. I thought that like, you know, we are, we are vile worms before God and we're as dirty as like, you know, whatever filthy cloths to Jesus and God. And like, it really messed with my psyche and try, and trying to be perfect and also believing that I was absolute filth to God. Mm. And also my family is chaos. And also there's like all this punishment and rules at the training center. 
And it started making me have nightmares and night terrors. And, um, and I really like had very poor mental health. Oh, no. That's so hard. And it's something that I talk about a lot on this podcast, which is they tell you that you have a problem and then sell you the solution. Yes. And so when you have more problems, you don't go away from the thing that's making you sick. You double down on their solutions, which creates more problems. And it's a really unhealthy, toxic cycle because, of course, it would make more sense that you would double down and pray harder and try to do better. And hearing things like that just down to every detail of your day, bringing you back to I'm sinning just because you're trying to get to church faster. That's so heartbreaking. That that must have been so difficult for you to just live in any sort of normal way as far as just being in peace with yourself. Do you feel like that's true? Yeah, I wasn't in a peaceful place inside until decades after we, I left the cult. But when I decided that I was going to leave Christianity behind, that was almost a feeling of being reborn um, because I let go all of those beliefs that I was sinning all day long and that I was disappointing God and that mm. I was filth. And I um, got to, and, I, and also that God's in charge of your destiny. Like you're just begging essentially this narcissistic, punishy, oppressive deity, right? We're out of it. We see this to like not hurt you and yeah. to give you a good life. And that's what prayer is and that God is in charge of your life, but God's going to send these horrible things your way to make you love him more or whatever. Yeah. And when I left Christianity behind, I became in charge of my life and the goodness in my life. And I wasn't a bad, filthy thing anymore. And I wasn't sinning all day long. It was just me. And it felt incredibly peaceful. Wow. And I want to get into how you started waking up to the oppressions within the cult. But before we move on, is there anything else that you want to say about your childhood in this group? People wonder, is the documentary kind of, um, is it true? Yeah. Is it excessive? Is it a spin? And honestly, what I experienced in the training centers was so much darker wow. than shiny, happy people that I was like, oh, this is like the PG version of a rated R movie. Oh <laughs> like, my gosh. Like, like, it was just so much darker with the amount of like verbal abuse and potentially physical abuse and sexual abuse that was very pervasive um, there. Shiny Happy People was absolutely not only accurate, like a glossed over, you know, not glossed over intentionally, but how much time do you have to like right. get into stuff? But there was a lot of darkness. I had a friend who was essentially like left for dead at one point and <gasps> smuggled out by by plane. Um, they, I heard rumors that they talked about like leaving children out who were bad, like outside chained to a tree. I didn't <gasps> no. hear that myself, but like they were trying to finish, figure out how to like punish some children and they debated like leaving them outside overnight. Um, and then they were like, oh, we might get in trouble for that. So, and this is like, also they talk about like, oh, we should be able to stone rebellious children. <gasps> and like, it's, it's bad that. American civilization is so far gone that we can't go back to these biblical things of like stoning rebellious children and killing them, you know? So, so it was like horrific. This feels like the handmaid's tale. It, is it feels like straight tale. out of the handmaid's yes. tale. Oh my gosh. 
I honestly couldn't watch the fourth episode because I am so deeply triggered by American politics because I met Sarah Palin. I went to the governor's mansion in Oklahoma. Like I knew all of these lawmakers because IBLP wants to put this horrible ideology into the whole world, into America, oh right? And I cannot imagine any little girl or woman living my lived childhood. It was so traumatic. And so, so I am like, I was former president of the National Organization for Women. I am not ashamed to say I am the biggest feminist because I believe that women should be protected. And I believe yeah. that, you know, like, like equality for women. And so um, I couldn't watch the last episode because I know that they want this in, in our country for all of the women. Right. And it was so hurtful to me. I don't know how I completely glossed over the fact that one of the huge points and reasons for IBLP is you have as many children as possible and they call it the quiver and then you shoot the arrows out in in fact I say in fact they wouldn't say in fact every point of society and basically take it over world domination that's the whole point of the Duggars right have as many kids as possible so you can infiltrate society and manipulate it to your own standards and your own morals which honestly sound like the handmaid's tale and it is absolutely terrifying yeah yes the handmaid's tale is basically IBLP's ideology and it's terrifying because they would also do that they would want women they would go into society today it would be their desire which is happening right now with the supreme court decisions and stuff to forcibly make women comply with their radical fundamental ideals oh my gosh That's so awful. What were you thinking when you were a teenager with this mentality of this is how I'm going to raise my kids? Or did you have it in your mind that you were planning on having as many kids as possible? I know that you had your parents that were kind of a a little bit of a voice of reason as far as no, go to college, get an education. So I'm wondering where you fell in that spectrum. You're sucked into it. So I was afraid that my dad was making bad choices by making me go to college. I was worried. Yeah, I worry that like this isn't going to be God's best, but also I'm supposed to like obey my authorities. And if this is what God wants for me, then like that's what he's telling my dad. So I disagreed that I should go to college a little bit Mm. because I felt like I was supposed to be a mother and have a million children. Um, In this ideology, you think that if you do the right thing, like the bet, like God will work everything else out. And I see this play out in politics. Like they're like, oh, well, if we make abortion illegal, then like everything is going to thrive. But then you see that like so many women have died in the yeah. past year because they can't have access to like care that they need. So it's not working out. Like it doesn't just work out, mm-hmm. but that's the thought is, oh, you follow God's plan and it'll just work out. So when I was in there as a teenager, I thought I would have, you know, a lot of kids. And then when I got out, obviously it was like, and maybe zero. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one of your posts with your birds. It was so funny. It was a real, and I I hope I don't butcher it, but it was something like when your parents raise you to believe that you're going to have a million children, and then the other side was, and you end up raising birds. (laughs) It was so funny. I'm schooling your three parents. I'm like... I love it so much, but you actually use the thing you said you use the things that you learn to teach children to read to teach your birds how to read, right? Yeah, so things come a little bit full circle. And 
Um, it's hard when you've had, and maybe you'll relate to this too, like when you've had a lot of trauma and most of your life really hurt a lot, like a lot, a lot. It's hard to say things work out and that it's okay. Like the things that happened are okay because I'm not sure I would ever be able to say that I basically like had 28 years of extreme like abuse. And then it took another seven years to like deprogram from that and a lot of work. Um, And I'm really happy now. So I can't say like everything works out and I'm so glad it happened this way, but things do come full circle. And sometimes the things that are handed to us that are awful, we can make and forge and use still to create a, an, you know, a good path. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I learned how to teach children how to read. And then when my Gotham's cockatoo was having like a lot of behavior challenges, um, I started teaching her how to read the same way, the same curriculum. And now, of course, we teach caregivers all over the world how to do this. And we do research through Northeastern University. So things do come full circle. Wow, that's amazing. But I love the empowered approach because I'm definitely not of the camp that says everything happens for a reason and it's what God wanted. And I'm like, God wanted me to be in a cult (laughs) and have horrible programming and sexual abuse. And I don't know about that. But the empowered approach is this happened to me. And now... I give people a platform to share their stories and expose their traumas so that more people are aware of what's going on in the world and can be more sympathetic to them. So it's not, well, if this didn't happen to you, you wouldn't have this YouTube channel. It's okay, sure. But it's not (laughs) one thing didn't cause the other. It's this happened to me. And now I'm taking back my story. And now I'm using my voice to give other people a voice. So I definitely like that approach a little bit more. I want to get into your Exodus story. So at what point did you start to recognize the harms that were happening to you? I believe you mentioned you had a couple people in your life. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, so I was I was 18 years old, kind of newly back from the cult, um, struggling with mental health in, you know, bad ways. Um, And I mean, I, I don't, know that at any point in my childhood, I wasn't like depressed and anxious, basically. Back in the day, they had AOL Instant Messenger and people put their interests and I was doing like a history project. And I met this guy who's a history professor at UCLA. And I was trying to like finish my history project for college. And I pinged him and I was like, oh, do you know information about this? And we became friends. And after some months, he said, I don't know if you know this, but you seem as one who's been abused. You seem like somebody who's who's abused. And his wife actually came from a cult also. Mm. um, And he's an atheist. But when he said that, it almost was like the curtains fell all around me that I'd been in this room that was so dark and like all the curtains fell. Like I saw, oh my gosh, all of this is this facade, it's abuse. I was still a Christian. I didn't know what to do with this like information, but it really um, actually, it's almost like you're holding back a tidal wave of depression and anxiety and you're still having it, but like there was even more, it just kind of flooded in. Mm. And I just spent days crying because I knew that it was true. How do you do that when you're living there still? So that kind of like started the ball rolling of, hey, like something's wrong. And we remained friends for a long time. But then there was somebody who I met through a website online, like a chat group. And we became friends. And he actually, the reason we became friends is he said something about like, the, if you put a radio in the forest, like it can pick up the sounds at the beginning of the universe. And I was like, 
I really read everything I could on Christianity. I took 4,000 level courses at University of Florida on Christianity, trying to make sure that was the right decision, that I wasn't making a bad decision. And after five years, I felt like more at peace with it. But also you're a broken person. And it was hard for me to go into society. I didn't have really any friends in college because you're a freak. Wherever you go, you're a freak. You don't know who Madonna is. You don't know who Seinfeld is. You don't know like how to dress or what to wear to say. Like you, you don't know um social norms. how to be a person mm-hmm. yeah and then wherever you go you're very interesting but I had a lot of social anxiety <laughs> so I didn't want to be interesting I just wanted to like not talk and, and maybe be present places so I thought I didn't really have friends and I was afraid to go out but I met my husband through a mutual friend at University of Florida and um my ex-husband And I think that when you're a woman who's been raised to be submissive and to think that everything's your fault, if anybody's unhappy, like, what did you do wrong? How can you make it better? Yeah. Um, You're also easy prey to somebody who's broken and would be okay with hurting, right? So I think that we're all on a path that, you know, um, we're all doing the best we can at any given time, but some people are on a path that they are broken and in their brokenness, they hurt others Yeah, and we can choose to not have them in our lives, but they also kind of like when you're submissive, you can become very easy prey. Yeah. So I was married and to the very first person I ever kissed. Oh my gosh. You made it to (laughs) marriage. I know. Yeah. No, not to marriage. No, we did not make it to marriage. I got disowned a couple times because I moved in with him before marriage. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of like social shunning from the church. You know, I got a lot of calls that I was like basically a bad person. Mm. Um, but in my marriage, there was a lot of like verbal violence. And when, um, when I got out, there was like physical violence. You know, you can be really easy prey to someone who, when you're like basically trained to be submissive and cover up, um, and cover up abuse. Um, one thing that I will say is, um, IDLP had all of these prohibitions about gossip and you can't talk badly about your family. You can talk. They even had guidelines about like what you could tell your family when you were in the cult centers, like when you call home and talk to your family. What? Like, yeah. There's like this, <laughs> they have like reg- regulations about what you could tell your family, but there's this idea that um, and we were absolutely like coached. Like if you're having a problem with your husband, you don't tell your family um, because, you know, then it'll get resolved and your family is going to be mad at him. And it's that, you know, it's your job to pray for him. It's not your job to like tell your family, blah, 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 blah. So in a sense, this like teaching followed me into my marriage and, um, and my, my marriage was really like awful and hard. So my ex-husband, you know, cover, excused all of the things that happened that he's depressed and that he's anxious, you know, so you, as a help, help me, helper, wife, my job was to help him, to fix him and things like that. But mm. really like in the end, it was just kind of pretty constant abuse. This prohibition wow. about gossip also plays into these abusive situations because you can't tell anybody. If you tell anybody, like, then even even though I wasn't a Christian and I didn't believe in sin anymore, like these ideas of if you tell people what happened, you know, then um, they'll be mad at your husband, but then you've forgiven him and they're still mad at your husband. So you shouldn't tell people when things are hard in the marriage. So um, 
so I never told people. And if I'd been able to tell people, oh, like this is what's happening and, and stuff, I think that people would have said, oh, this is, this is awful. You should leave him. Um, and, and such. So in a sense, I think that the cult continues to like permeate through life, through Mm. the things that you learn and you hear even when you're out. Yeah. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Because I think a lot of people are going to resonate with that. I've been guilty of falling into abusive relationships or narcissistic relationships because you're almost used to that power dynamic and you're used to being in pain and you're used to trying to fix things or whatever it is being beat down. You're used to saying, oh, I'm worthless and you're worthy and whatever it is. It's so common. And so that's another big thing that we try to do is bring awareness to the programs and the the things that are running in the back of our minds that we don't realize it so that people on the outside watching this may go, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that I'm perpetuating this belief, even though I dropped it 10 years ago. Things still come up for me where I'm like, oh, is that why I'm this way? (laughs) Because the more I learn about Mormonism and its roots and the way I grew up and just the social, social norms of it all, it really is hard to drop because you're raised with that reality. It's not even a belief to you. It's a reality. And so you really have to become conscious of it in order to recognize that something is wrong. So when did that happen for you? When were you able to recognize that? When I met my ex-husband, I was an undergraduate in college and I was studying psychology and behavioral neuroscience. And I wanted to be a researcher and I was actually doing research in a behavioral neuroscience lab. And, um, he was in law school and there was always a reason that I was in charge of all the domestic duties and he didn't have to do really anything. And so um, now I was agnostic and I wanted equality in my relationship. And I was really kind of very sad that I was responsible for all the cooking and all the cleaning and the grocery shopping and also going to school. So ultimately I decided to go to law school because he always said, you know, then he was a lawyer and he's like, Oh, I'm a lawyer and you're just a caseworker. I was a caseworker for a while. You're, I'm a lawyer. You're a caseworker. I'm so much more stressed out. You need to do like all this stuff. And so then I went to law school. I, I abandoned my dreams of being a researcher. I, you know, um, wrote in my journal, like, I guess sometimes sacrifices have to be made for love, but I was so Mm. desperately sad to not pursue this dream anymore and to leave it behind when I worked so hard at it. And I went to law school essentially to have equality with my husband. And then I finished law school and I started working as a lawyer. And the reason I was in charge of all the domestic duties, still cooking, cleaning, washing, was because he was a trial lawyer and I was just a regular lawyer. So I still had to do everything. And at that point, I was like, I mean, I already had a degree I didn't want. And I had a lot of debt that I didn't want. And I had a career that I never asked for. And I was exhausted. And I was depressed and tired. Um, And I quit. I just stopped doing domestic stuff. I was like, listen, I'm just, I'm done. And um, then he became really, really angry. And for about a year, he would yell at me until I was crying on the floor every four days. Mm-hmm. And then um, it was like this weird clockwork thing where like, every four days, he'd have to scream at me until I was like 
sobbing on the floor. And then I was really like desperately <laughs> shattered and broken and a lot, lots of medicine, trying to just keep it together, Paxil, Xanax. And, um, and I realized that if I, I, I wanted to kill myself, I, I wanted out mm-hmm. and I didn't know like how to get out, but I knew that I either needed to leave or I would die. And so every time I would go to the door and we had a fight, he'd say, if you go out that door, I will never take you back and um, you won't make it on your own. Mm. Like there's, you're a little child. You're like a child. You're a little girl. You'll never make it in the world by yourself. And I had this moment where it was either I ended it or I tried. And so, um, so I walked out the door and he took my paycheck. My car blew up in the middle of the state. So I had no car and no money and no housing and no friends. Oh my gosh. um, Yeah, it was awful. And, um, and I was delivered back to him because, um, because I had like no money and no car and nothing. So he, I ended up back at the house. It took a little while to detangle and to get out. And it was really, um, complicated and involved violence and a domestic violence shelter and things like that. But in the end, I was just like, it was kind of the same thing where I was like, this life is mine and I'm going to make the choices about who gets to be in my life. And I decide not just at this point, there's not going to be this God who is so awful and hurtful, um, but no people who are awful or hurtful to me ever again. And so, um, you know, you start from square one, but I was determined to figure out how to heal and how to have a good life. Um, and also I couldn't have done it by myself. So when I left, um, these like people from Miami, they're not people, they're like family, my Miami parents, they gave me a car (laughs) to use. They, um, paid for my divorce. They like did all this stuff to help me get away. And then my partner now, Joe, also um, like signed me up for fight classes. Oh, he did like, all this stuff. To, like, I know like, he's just like saved my life and, and spent years like trying to help me get into good healing modalities. And he found the therapist who ultimately like really worked hard to deprogram things. Um, so I think it's hard to get away by yourself. But yeah. I think if you take those steps to try, the whole world comes out to help you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is so horrible, but also inspirational, but also amazing that you were able to get away from that. It's like all of the descriptive words I can think of are just flooding my brain. It's just everything. What an emotional roller coaster. I'm just so thrilled that you have made it out on this other side and you are making huge waves in animal communication and you're freaking a boss you got a doctorate (laughs) like it's so amazing and how you've just come out on the other side is awesome and I'm so happy for you and I just want to know how you're doing now because everyone I mean it seems like you're doing amazing but do you have anything else to say as far as where you're at mentally physically emotionally spiritually yeah um I am in a really 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 good place um I will say like all the things kind of come together so I have a law degree and um I have a law firm my partner helped start with me and he like is the backbone of the law firm we run together. I actually love what I do in law now. <laughs> so oh, good. So that's very nice. Is that like um, the kind of law practice that we've gotten into and the work that we do? I'm very passionate about. And then on the balance of it, when I started teaching the girls how to read, I felt 
very strongly that I needed to know what the research was around it. I didn't feel comfortable kind of putting out into the world these ideas of possibilities um, without knowing that there's some truth to it. Um, I didn't want to be like the next clever Hans in a textbook. It's what they call it. Um, where, you know, like it's a smart animal that's being cued by a person. So right. maybe seven, six or seven years ago, I got into research with the University of Miami. And since then, I've been in research with um, several other universities, including MIT, um, Western Oregon University, Northeast Uni- University, uh, University of Glasgow. And um, and the work that we did actually recently was like featured all over the world in New York Times and um, NPR and stuff. So the really beautiful thing is that sometimes the things that we lose come back to us. And it felt like being able to get back into research in this way was a gift given back. And um, and every single day, I am so thankful for this life, um, for the goodness that's in this life, um, for my family, for Joe, for the girls, for my mom. Um, my mom took her own healing path for getting out of the cold, and she's mm. one of my best friends in the whole world. So... Yeah, so things come together. Um, and for me, if anybody like is working on deprogramming and trauma, the thing that worked best for me was hypnosis and NLP mm. um, to like just go in and deprogram so much garbage that was in my body. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy with how you're doing now. And before we go, I need to get your Linda Listen moment, either a sassy statement that you have or <laughs> inspiration. <laughs> Yeah, if you are in a cult or by extension, domestic violence, there is so much joy and happiness and peace on the other side. Mm. A promise that the hardest thing to do is to leave. And it reminds me of Indiana Jones when he steps onto the walk of the Bridge of Faith or whatever. And I hate that thought for like getting out of religion, but you take the step to leave a bad relationship. You take the step to leave a bad situation. And I promise if you take that step, the things come together. You just keep working at it and you will find happiness and you will find peace and goodness. I absolutely promise. I love that, Linda. Listen, that's amazing. And if you have any resources, I'm going to put them in the description box below. Everyone else, definitely go check out Jen's page, Parrot Kindergarten on Instagram. It's so good. I'll also put the link in the description. And if you want to support the podcast, that would mean the world. You can go to patreon.com slash cults to consciousness. We do some behind the scenes stuff over there and I'm working on getting some exclusive content for you guys. And thank you to my newest patrons, Barbara and Elizabeth. I really appreciate you. Any final thoughts before we go? Um, no, I just want to say thank you so much for bringing awareness of this to the world. And um, yeah, IBLP, anybody who came from IBLP, it was really hard and you're amazing. And Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And again, thank you for sharing your story and being brave. And if you guys like this episode, I will put some below here that you will definitely want to check out. And until next time, follow your highest excitement to be conscious and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Colts to Consciousness or reach out by